Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hello there, this is Fei Wu from Face World Media and Face World Podcast. Well, if you haven't checked us out on YouTube, definitely hit us up there. And um, my YouTube channel is relatively new as of October 2019, even though I had been on YouTube for quite a bit as mostly a content consumer. I never thought I would be showing my face uh, or interviewing my guests via video format and posted there. So. If you are arriving here on Face World for the first time, well, I got some good news for you because if you enjoy audio content, we're here. You know, you're probably listening to Anchor or iTunes or wherever you are, Spotify, I guess. Um, but we're also going live with these episodes and conversations uh, much earlier than it actually hits our podcast channel. So before we edit things together, balance audio, I go live with all my guests, pretty much without exceptions these days. Uh, on my social media channel. So I welcome you to check us out there to get in touch with these events and be notified before we go live. Definitely check out faceworld.com forward slash events. So um, with that said, if you're new or you have been with us for a little while, we're changing up the format because um, I love to be able to share a little bit about me, about my life, uh, what I've been up to before I go ahead and introduce my guest. Well, by the title, you know that today's guest is Josh Jackson, um, who I met through Seth Godin's MBA. But, you know, it occurred to me that I want to review and just be so honest, completely honest with you guys about the, this entrepreneurial journey, because many of our listeners are equally balanced between men and women, and there's a pretty big age range. And as you know, this is a bit of a variety show, even though focusing on creative entrepreneurship. But we interview a lot of people through you know, all walks of life, including uh, in previous episodes that you've heard from a palliative care doctor, BJ Miller, uh, who started his own company, Metal Health. So I am just so intrigued by this whole creative journey. I really do believe that everybody is deep down, innately very creative. Yes, that includes you. And I don't care whether you think you're you're just a lawyer, you're purely logical, and there's not a, a one creative bone inside of you. I don't think any of that is true. So with that said, you know, once you begin to explore that creative energy and your inner power and your ability to influence other people, whether it's to help other people make money or, you know, making other people feel good, I think that is in a way, a, a very interesting superpower that we have. And um, it's hard to 
elevate that sometimes. And I found that when I became a full-time entrepreneur in January 2016, I was 32 at the time. And after spending nine years in corporate America, in in any corporation, um, so you kind of lose touch with yourself. Once I started building my own business, I realized that it was definitely in some ways easier, in some ways harder. The harder part for me wasn't about purely just making money because I feel like I sort of have that covered, right? My income is sometimes inconsistent, but I can definitely, you know, pay the bills, live comfortably. Um, it, it is about, yeah, you know, scaling your income is another conversation, right? Some people say, I'm at $250,000. I want to hit half a million next year. Well, you, you got to internalize and really make some changes if that's the case. But comfort, you know, we don't really need that much money to be comfortable. For me, And for a lot of people I know in my mastermind group and such is our ability to focus on the things that we know is going to be productive. It's going to yield the the highest and most valuable results, going to reach the most amount of people. Well, here's the catch. You don't always know that. Sometimes, often than not, you feel guilty or ashamed of, wow, I really don't know what what this thing is going Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the right decision? Am I supporting, making my family and friends proud? My recommendation is you can't always put that type of pressure on yourself because that will paralyze you and not help you move forward. And I'm looking at a whiteboard behind me right now, which you can't see. I realize that since really since last year, 2019, through this pandemic, I learned a lot about myself and even more about my business And my areas of focus have shifted. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't realize YouTube could be such a successful channel. I have my producer, Herman, to thank for and who supported me all the way through. You know, we brainstorm new ideas every three weeks. Sometimes they don't hit uh, the mark or don't hit the YouTube algorithm, but it's just a level of support. Um, You know, it's really helping me push through everything and see the results that I never thought it was possible. And other areas of my life, you know, to be honest, like podcasting was something that I struggled with for a while. You know, it's not something where I personally put all my money or all my hope into. I just love running a variety show. I love the fact that I I can learn from anyone and everyone. And it made the show, uh, you know, definitely more challenging to monetize. But you know, my producer, Herman said, why not embrace it? So I started doing that. And I, I, I was, you know, I've been very, not just more intentional, um, but more niche and more focused on algorithms and the people, the exact people I'm targeting and speaking to on YouTube. Whereas podcasting, just like this format, really helps me connect with a, a wider variety of folks. And I cannot tell you just the feeling and the thinking about you listening to this through your headphones or you're running your errands or you're driving in the car, you're cleaning the house and you're listening Uh, to me talking to you about all of this. Um, I want to come clean every single week as you're listening to this to talk about what it's really like to be a creative entrepreneur and why it's worth it. So uh, I, I can feel every ounce of my body feeling so liberated by creative entrepreneurship. And sometimes, you know, we're just human being. I forget all the time. Like I could have been having a great day um, doing, getting so much done, doing the exact type of projects I want, working with my favorite clients. And yet sometimes you don't, if you don't reflect, you don't even think about it. So 
you know, I, I highly recommend that, you know, if you could take a moment to reflect or if you set your calendar for a week to reflect on the things that you really enjoy at the end of the day, the things that you're grateful for and get into a pattern of who you are and, and what makes you tick. That is some good journaling that's going to help you make decisions more wisely, more quickly even. So um, with that said, well, please welcome Josh Jackson to the Phase World podcast. What is this episode about? I titled this to be What You Don't See on Paper is the Best Part About Josh Jackson. I don't know why I saw this line uh, from his LinkedIn profile. I really liked it. Josh came from a very different background compared to not just me, but people who are very close to me. He graduated from uh, Emory Law. I don't know a lot of lawyers or can't really say that I'm close to a lot of them. Um, He was recognized by the Emory Law faculty as an honor graduate. And um, he also served as one of Professor Jennifer uh, Romick's research assistants, assessing legal information and drafting portions of her book, Extended Case Study. And he's now living in Washington, D.C., and he speaks to artificial intelligence, among many other things, honestly, I'm not really an expert in. So even though I was trying to study more before I interviewed him, I didn't think how much of that I was really going to pick up. So with that said, I think it's just, in general, a great idea to catch up with people who, um, you know, studied with you as part of Seth Godin's L10BA. I was really curious what Josh has been up to after meeting him in person in 2017 in New York. Um, So absolutely love this format and um, love the idea to connect with people who are not exactly like me um, as well. So um, you'll notice that, you know, Josh Josh is a very peaceful way of speaking, which I later on find, you know, found out for the first time that he actually taught English in China. He has a lot of empathy in his speech. He is used to talking to people who are immigrants, uh, people whose language is not, first language is not English. So it's just wonderful to discover someone all around. I included links so you can learn more about Josh and his work. But without further ado, um, please welcome Josh Jackson to the Face World live stream and podcast. Thank you so much for you to be here. Love you. And I'll see you at the end of the show. And it says, we are now live. Just like that, we are live <laughs> Yeah, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, my personal page, my uh, regular company page. And hi, everyone. It's Faye. It is Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I've been doing this, going live with my friends, my colleagues, my mentors, uh, people I absolutely love and adore in my network for the past few months. And I am totally addicted. So today, I invite Josh Jackson to join me. And and um, by the way, Josh, you go. we talked about this before. Josh is okay for you? Josh is Josh, great. That's great. Josh is great. <laughs> so yeah, so Josh and I met. Uh, in uh, at actually Hastings and Hudson during one of Seth Godin's live event uh, with, you know, um, 300 other people. I remember Josh being on stage and I remember your face, kind of you're wearing a very serious suit and all that, like very well put together. And um, so I had a lot of assumptions. And then seeing you again during, I believe, because Seth Godin's releasing a new book. So I saw you in that group, uh, reach out to you and we're connecting. So welcome, Josh. <laughs> Thanks, Faye. I, I'm glad to I'm glad to be here. So, 
Yeah, I'm really glad to have you here. And uh, if I remember, you're currently based in D.C., right? Correct. Washington, D.C. Absolutely. It's a great city, even though it's, you know, it's different now that the pandemic's around. But um, Mm -hmm. it's still thriving. It's still strong. It's it's at the center of everything still. Mm. Why do you feel like it's at the center of everything? Like what what prompted you to move from New York? Right. Yeah. Um, so this is, this, this kind of stems back to at the beginning. And I mean, Seth has talked about this before. Many other people have talked about this as well mm-hmm. is what you're reading. Um, why are you reading what you're reading? Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, you're reading things that hopefully are going to change you. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think reading items that no one else is reading um, helps give you more perspective. So if let's talk, I guess we can talk about what I'm what I'm doing now. Um, I am helping write legislation around artificial intelligence in the automation industry. And my understanding as I've been reading way back when, uh, pre-Alt-MBA, was how who's writing legislation and what does it look like? So I'm not going to talk about social justice or religion or any, anything. We'll stick to uh, kind of the overarching themes here. Mm-hmm. But in looking at writing legislation, um, there are some key aspects to being a good legislative writer. Mm-hmm. And one would be having kind of an analytical mind, one having a sort of legal and legal, like the traditional legal is like kind of destructive, sort of like destructing mm-hmm. writings. And then the other is like an artist, like being creative. And so that I had to get there, right, on how do I fit and learn these three things? And and originally I was a scientist. So I was thinking about it from an analytical mindset. Um, And now I needed to fill in these other pieces, right? And you went to law school. I mean, you definitely had some very proper training to understand those world that I have no access. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't say I don't have any access to, but yet I, admittedly speaking, I know very little about. And I don't even think I have a lot of friends living in D.C. for that reason. So you're like opening up this, I don't know, Pandora box or, or otherwise to me on how things actually work over there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, I I did want to talk about this too, because I hear this a lot where people say, I don't have access to um, the law Mm -hmm. or I don't have access to understanding. And I think there is some like crypticness to these power structures. Mm -hmm. And there's this crypticness to the legal world where we're kind of afraid, right? Mm -hmm. Like the notion of like lawyers or anyone that understands the law is that they're going to be super judgmental, but they're also going to be, it's almost like the equivalent of a psychologist sometimes where you're talking to a psychologist and you're like, 
okay, you're totally analyzing me right now and all my flaws. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you sit with a lawyer and you're like, okay, are they, how are they analyzing what I'm talking about or what I've written? Mm-hmm. Did I just break a law and now they're, they're going to judge me? <laughs> yeah, what are they writing down? Right, exactly. Um, so I think there's a lot going on there. And when I was studying um, with one of my professors at Emory, she decided to write a book around helping the layperson understand um, and work with the law and lawyers. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of times where it's on the onus of you as an individual to kind of be. Um, to understand what is happening in the legal world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and seeking help and saying, I need a lawyer or I need someone with more training. Um, and sometimes we just don't know where to go, right? As individuals. I, I just noticed like for the first time, not that this is the first time for us to chat, that there's so much empathy in the way that you communicate because I, my second question after this would be where you're from originally, because look, I'm based, for people who don't know this, I'm based in Boston. And, you know, I am, a lot of my friends are Jewish. A lot of my friends are from New York and everybody talks super fast. In fact, a couple of sessions ago, one of my guests, Todd Churches, was so honest. He said, I've been staring at this little turtle my wife gave me and said, slow down when you get interviewed. And yet I feel like, you know, Josh, you're, you're very, it's, you're very, you like to articulate and you're very chill, like very relaxed. And yet you work in DC and you study law, like what's, you know, there's some, Disconnect from here. I mean, that is uh, okay. So my my family was um, very much they were contractors with the military. Mm. So this goes back to like, so my dad's a rocket scientist. So that's something that no way. uh, Yeah, he's totally a rocket scientist, and we make fun of him a lot of times because he couldn't do things around the house like simple tasks. Right. Like that's the joke where, um, now I'm taller than he is. So there's some of that aspect of being like, Hey, can you just do this? Cause I can't reach and it'd be so much easier (laughs) for you to reach. Um, but then there's that aspect of like, there's only so much, uh, in my mind that like I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. that some tasks just don't work. Um, so there's actually a story that I wanted to tell about that, but I'll, I'll mm-hmm. come back. So we were, he was contracted, contracted by the military. So we mm-hmm. moved around a lot um, mm-hmm. in terms of where I lived. Where and were you born, by the way? I, I, I Yeah. So I was only there for a little bit. I was, I was born in Michigan. Okay. Um, so I was, I was born in Michigan, but my family is from the, like, the Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Near Air Force Base the the whole like in the military but not in the military right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. lived in virginia and then moved to illinois um when i was in high school and then went to school in arkansas went to school in wisconsin wow. kind of like all over 
right? So north, south, midwest, east. So it's kind of a mixture of where I'm at. Where where do you when, call home? Where do you say I that is a I think it's complicated. I think okay. it's I call the world my home. How about I that? I like that. Yeah. Right? Um I spent like a very short period of time in in China, actually. Um so that was Guangxi. You've got to be kidding me. No, we did not talk about this last time. No, we didn't talk about this. Because that's where my dad's from. I was born and raised in Beijing. My mom's from Beijinger. (laughs) And uh, my dad, out of all places, I can never explain Guangxi because everybody always knows Guangdong, right? Canton. And that's where, honestly, a lot of the majority of his family ended up uh, right now. It's what they call home. So, So my dad is actually from... Guangxi and is so passionate about Nanning, Guilin area. And oh my God, this is like so weird. Um, so. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, and then a past relationship of mine was from Canada. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time in Canada. So it's kind of like this mixture of just life. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was young, and again, I don't want to talk. Let's we'll we'll skip the whole religious talk right now. Why but, not? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what, what, uh, yeah. What religious? Uh, that's Chris the Tibbet's first question, right? Uh, for on being, like, what is your religious origin? It doesn't have to be about going to churches and all that, but it's, you know. I mean, I guess we get, we could. What but, is your religious upbringing? I mean. Yeah. So more of a fundamentalist Christian. Okay. Um, so I grew up in that lifestyle. I grew up understanding it. Um, and I think I was in first grade when I gave my first sermon that my dad wrote. So that was kind of like an interesting interaction. So speaking was always a part of that. Oh, and look at that. So I remember always being told to slow down. Right. So that goes back to the, the conversation of just slow down and articulate. Yeah. Um, and I think that brought me into this sort of teaching. So when I went over to China, then it was this conversation of, okay, you fit all the demographics, right? You're white, you're American, you speak English. So can you teach us something about English and you're articulating enough that we can hear the pronunciation of English words. This whole time, you just solved all, you see like the things that people don't end up talking about while going live stream actually answers all the mysterious questions I had because, you know, I, there are assumptions where meeting you for the first time, I assume that no way you've traveled to China, no way that you have a lot of, uh, you will know a lot of international population because I see you as like, oh, you have this all American look. So that's just my own assumption, right? Um, and then talking, talking to you, like today, I realized I'm like, this guy definitely taught ESL for those of you guys who don't know that is English as a second language, um, because you remind me of people that I learn English from. And it was so mega appreciated because when English is your first language, it comes natural. But like for Chinese people, I, as I'm teaching my mom right now, like she always adds a T or a D after every word because she, you know, like that, that just like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I said today, I was like, mom, how do you say is done eating? She's like, don't eating, don't. I'm like, no, no, there's no D or T, just done eating. And so it, it's fascinating. So you taught English in China. 
Yes, yes. For a year? Uh, well, and I think now it turned into this global pandemic. Mm. It came around. And then there's like this shift of, can you can, can you teach a little bit online? Mm. Um, and how does that work? And so, well, I mean, also, I mean, I think Wi-Fi or connectivity mm-hmm. is an issue as, and that, that goes to kind of like what I'm doing here in DC mm-hmm. of how many people in rural areas do not have access to internet. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that is also in the United States as well as over in China, right. Where the connectivity is so hard, but it's so needed when everyone's stuck in their home. Yeah. I, I must ask, out of all the places people normally, like normal people choose to go to, we're talking about like Hong Kong, Beijing, Shanghai, Canton. How did you end up in Guangxi? Like how, I never even, how do you even find that program? Like why, why that place? <laughs> yeah. So I um, was in North Carolina University of North Carolina has a a really good relationship with English sort of scholars mm. in um, in China, and a teacher that did six months in the United States and six months at Guangxi University. Mm. Um, I connected with her, and we just kind of like it turned into a new program that they were building, and then other people kind of joined. Uh, So it was all by accident. Like everything is by accident. I think you just have to keep your mind open. Right. Wow. Um, So we did, we did go to Guilin and um, that was, that was interesting too. Um, That it's a beautiful place. Yeah. But if they're rural, like. Yeah. I also stayed on the top of a rice um, mountain, rice field. and. Lao Shang, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I said that right, I'm. I. It's been three years now, so. I was gonna say it's only been three years. I was thinking like. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Did you like? I was gonna say what? When did you graduate from college? I had assumed that this was like a part of a college experience or outside of college. Yeah, so it was only for at the end of a summer. Okay. And it was like kind of like an, an you know twenty one day sort of trip. Okay. Um, but uh, it was an experience. I mean, an experience that I just I wanted to do, and so I had those three weeks yeah. and um, said, "Yeah, let's let's give it a go." Wow. Everyone was- says I look young, so I wonder. I wonder no, no. how. How, how young I look. <laughs> no, 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 this, like, I, you know, I'm losing, like, as I'm getting older, I'm losing track of uh, the, the timeline altogether because we are, I mean, I mean, like, seriously, don't, I, I'm trying to do the math. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Sorry. We're in 2020. So if you were in China three years ago, you graduated in 2017, 16? No, it was in the middle of, of my uh, life. Oh, okay. So okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be 36 this year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. We're. I'm gonna be 36 this year. So that's a great age, by the way. Wonderful. I was I, there last I love, year. I can I tell love you. My 30s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry for derailing you, but um, 
This is fascinating. I don't know what it is, but to discover people's journey just shocks my system to no end. And it really does, like in the most unexpected ways. And there's a sense of connection, um, right, that you'll have with someone if you didn't find out about this. I mean, like, uh, I admit that recently I interviewed BJ Miller, you know, who's a palliative care doctor. And um, my my mom was so inspired who ended up painting a painting of him. And, oh, my God, it just... It's just unbelievable, astonishing. And she had this vision. She, we, you know, neither one of us really can say that we know him very well. My mom had this vision one day. She's like, I think Dr. Miller is very into ancient Chinese paintings and techniques. Like, no, 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 mom. No, I don't, I don't think so. And she's like, well, I saw a painting in his house in one of the videos you shared with me. Like, no, that's Zen Hospice Center. That's not really his home. So I don't think he really cares or knows much about this. And of course, five minutes later, that same day or something, I listened to his um, podcast with Krista Tibbet from On Being. He's like, yeah, I almost went to China to study for a semester. I learned Chinese, Mandarin Chinese for a year in school and art. I'm just like, what is this? What kind of vision is this? So I'm learning similar things about you, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just world, since we're so globally connected, um, there's so much to learn from different cultures. Mm-hmm. And we the the diversity helps bring out, I think, the best in people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I've always looked at it. Um, a lot of other people would say, you know, if, if we did talk about race, right. I grew up in, in Virginia where my father is from, you know, he was a minority in this place called Hampton, Virginia. No one ever knows where it's, where it is, but there's this university called Hampton university, which is a historically black college. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I remember growing up in Virginia and being one of the only white kids, right, in school. Mm. And then when we moved to Illinois, there was one black kid in my high school. Mm. So it was like this weird, like, shift in um, cultures. And so, like, when you're young, I don't think you, like, you don't, I had never thought about it. Um, and I didn't really think about it until I went to college and then, you know, going to a university and then it just started like the more you read and the more you interacted, things started to come up. Um, do you, good. Yeah. I mean, I wonder you're really young when this was happening for you to realize that and later remember it today. I'm, I'm curious uh, because I had experienced that more or less since I was, say, I would say 17, a little bit periodically when I was younger, because my mom, my parents had a lot of friends in Europe and in America, they would travel over. But I always knew it was temporary. That wasn't really, really integrated into part of my life to see kids of different skin color origins. Um, most of the kids, obviously, I interacted with were Chinese. But for you to experience that in elementary school, middle school, um, do you, I mean, did you what, what did you, what are some of the senses you had at the time? And I wonder how it maybe impacts your, your life today, interacting to be actually living in a, a hodgepodge, right? There's everyone, every culture. Do you think it helps for you to adapt um, in a conversation with friends of many different origins? Because I know some people are a little bit afraid of it or feel really uncomfortable. And they're honest, to, honest enough to admit that to me. 
Yeah. Can you rephrase that? Sure, sure, of course. I, this is, yeah. My questions tend to sometimes a little, run a little long with multiple <laughs> questions built in. Don't do that. Um, so I, I just, I wonder, maybe it's, it's one question. I will, I'll build it up a little bit. I went to high school in Freiburg, Maine, where we were the only Asian kids out of, I mean, like miles and miles, right? Like we were seven Chinese kids in a private school. Um, but then I realized one of my mentor, one of my teachers, uh, Tracy Trider, really took us in. And her kids, who are still friends with me, you know, uh, Chelsea and Miles, these kids were all the same age, but they were surrounded by us every single year. And in fact, I didn't realize later on, it had been happening to my friend Chelsea her whole life. Her parents always brought kids over to the house, um, you know, kids from all countries. At one point, she thought herself as a Chinese person, she's blonde, you know, very <laughs> blonde. And so that I just thought it was so fascinating to me that later on, I see these kids, my friends, to be very accepting and very comfortable in an environment where there are people of different colors, ethnicities, origins, and cultures. So I wonder, maybe you've had a similar experience because you've, you were exposed to that culture a little bit earlier on. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that does help. Um, I so Harvard has this implicit bias. I'm going to take a different spin. They have this implicit bias project that they have online. You can take these these exams, right? And it's a bunch of different things, right? So you can think the I think one is like Muslim and Arab. One is uh, police. One is white, black. Um, uh, lesbian, gay, trans, like all these sort of tests. Mm -hmm. And I think if you take those, you can see some of these implicit and like deep rooted thoughts mm -hmm. that would come out. And I think the more that you're exposed, um, I have found in taking the tests right? The language and the exposure mm -hmm. really changes how I view people. And I'll be one to admit that certain things where people would say, oh, well, he's white. So he probably has these sorts of things like thinking about um, are wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, where it's sometimes the opposite, right? Where it would be, um, things I'm not exposed to when I was younger or I read about in a particular way that have changed my viewpoint. Mm. Um, so for example, I'm, and I'll, I'm still learning more about Middle Eastern culture where one of my sisters lived in the Middle East for two years. Right. And she has a completely different perspective than I do. Um, where she was a lot younger than I was. So living in a, historically black college neighborhood mm -hmm. has, and I'm not going to speak for how, what her perceptions are, but I think they're going to be different than mine and how we grew up. Mm -hmm. So I think being exposed to a lot, to the diversity from a rich, poor, this country, that country really puts in a new perspective on how uh, you look at things and mm -hmm. how you grow up. Yeah. 
I think it's really interesting. You have such an analytical mind. I would love to take that assessment <laughs> or a test myself. <laughs> you know, years ago, people said uh, there there was, I remember there was one test when I was in college, like with the, you know, early 2000, mid 2000. And uh, I remember it says, Faye, you're definitely going to fail this. Like you have to choose out of all the Asian people pictures, which is like Chinese, Japanese, Korean. And I failed miserably. So um, <laughs> that was such a, that is way less sophisticated than what you're describing. Um, but at the same time, I think it's, it's interesting at this part, I don't think that people probably know much about you. And I know we're stepping into a territory that's very, can be sensitive. And that's something, you know, I don't typically talk about religion or politics on the show because everybody tends to have a different opinion and tends to convey you or trying to convince you in one form or another. Um, but I, it, it's fascinating through my own experience. I always tell people, except for us, we're in the pandemic, that if you're 20 years old and you don't speak the language, go to that country and trying to really live, trying to survive, make friends. And you're going to see and learn so much more about these people that you've never learned on TV, uh, in the books. And it will be often completely the opposite and counterintuitive than what you thought, uh, you're dealing with. So yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. I, I mean, the interaction that I've had with how, um, people view the United States through movies um, or through television, right? And then they come over and say, you're put in the middle of the country, yeah. right? Because DC isn't really like really well thought of. Maybe Chicago and a little less, LA and New York, like everybody thinks, okay, New York, LA, this is what it is. America, um, yeah. Yeah, then that's America. And I had a friend from Turkey who, when she came over to the United States, mm -hmm. uh, she got a job in Honolulu, Hawaii, mm -hmm. right? And was like, hey, I'm going to America, right? And everyone in America was like, you're not going to America, you're going to Hawaii, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it's a completely different place yeah. than a rural part of the United States, but I think it's also like the United States is so vast that you're going to find different, mm -hmm. different perspectives uh, from the East to the West, you know, regional aspects and then the North and the South, obviously mm -hmm. uh, the same. So, um, but since we're on the topic, we can totally talk about <laughs> Go for uh, it. these things. Um, where do you want to start? I mean, we got, <laughs> yeah. How much time we got? I think, left? I think, I think for me, like mm -hmm. problem solving. So I was thinking about you had kind of pitched the idea of what's not on paper is mm -hmm. the best part of me. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to, um, I've been talking to a lot of people about what are the aspects that they find in me, those that really know me. Mm -hmm. Um, that are valuable like mm. well, why are you friends with me you know like, question but they you know like and i think it the thought comes about caring right and sticking up for my people and i think if you really want to focus on um 
problem solving, Mm -hmm. then we have to be able to disagree Mm -hmm. and have those conversations of disagreement. And I I think I've always been brought up where if you want to have a conversation, then you need to be level-headed. You need to be stable. Um, you know, I think you've talked about this on your podcast before in terms of negotiations, right? Like Mm -hmm. if it's a fighting sort of battle, Mm -hmm. then you're not going to get anywhere, right? You're not going to work well with anybody. I've always thought about negotiations is more of like human interaction. Mm -hmm. So if you act as a human to someone else, then you're probably going to be able to problem solve. And you don't have to agree 100% of the time. Mm, That's interesting, right? Like, I think that's the problem that we're facing right now, big and big and small. I mean, even not just the overarching politics that we're all facing and living with, but also like inside small households, like people, you know, maybe that's why partners don't get along really well. How, How do you, like, how do you find some of the skills that you've leveraged or even changing the tone of voice or taking a a different perspective to resolve something more quickly, peacefully, we'll agree to disagree. Like what's that process like for you? Uh, So I get the two things. I think I'm still, I still work on that with my personal, say significant other, (laughs) (laughs) right? Because it's a relationship. Because it is very, both of us are very Mm strong-willed individuals, Mm -hmm. um, but we care so much, right? So we Mm -hmm. care about the topic and we know um, how each other is going to interact. And, but we still, so in, in that regard, now it is, hey, we're being more open and communicating to the fact of, I don't like your tone. I feel this tone Mm -hmm. and just saying it, like calling it out. Like, here's the tone that I'm getting from you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're not going to go far if, because I'm going to start to have that tone. You're going to have that tone. We're not going far. Right. Um, So I think that in terms of household or, you know, significant other, there's calling those things out. And Mm -hmm. other people, I think it's, trying to, um, trying to, I mean, I think it goes back to, I think you've talked about this before mirroring and validating, like Mm -hmm. these are concepts that we just have to continually work on. Mm -hmm. Um, this is what I heard, right. I'm trying to understand, or is there a way that, uh, you can, can, you can convey, I heard this and this is how I'm approaching it. Mm -hmm. Uh, is this how I should be approaching it? Um, I, I think slowing down, well, again, I think even when you talk, slowing mm-hmm. down and understanding and conveying how you're approaching things is so much more effective than just jumping in to um, what assertion you're going to make based on some thought that you're having or narrative that you've accumulated in your mind. And now you're going to project that on someone else. As you were describing that, I find myself going to really find it challenging to start an argument with you, even if I wanted to. 
I think it's just, <laughs> you know, it, like there's a sense of the escalation, escalation, right? So, you know, I, I've been definitely been in conversation situations where I, I definitely talk on the faster side. And I was one day telling my dentist, you know, I'm pretty chill. I'm pretty relaxed. I don't get, he's like, yeah, yeah, you, that's all true. But you're intense. Like, just like me, you're intense. So there, if you're with somebody else, just as intense or as caring as you are uh, for certain subjects, I can definitely see the point of escalation. You're like, you know, you're shouting louder. Yeah, uh, very quickly, it will be in a, at a boiling point. So um, I'm, I'm curious because you do have a very successful career and I'm, people are going to click on those links and learn more about Josh. I'm excited for them to do that. You know, you, you do a lot of very big boy stuff like the AI, you know, AI association, that's artificial intelligence, I assume, right? Mm-hmm. These are pretty serious things. Um, I would love to, and I apologize for kind of directing you to talk about all your origin stories and childhood memories. Um, I love to learn you know, more about what you do. And I'm also very curious in terms of what you have learned, what we have learned from Seth Godin's Elton MBA that has been uh, very applicable or helpful to your work life. Yeah. So, I mean, this is great because I, I love talking about uh, these, these sorts of things, right? And I think from Alt MBA and Seth Godin, I think, there's this, you know, we talked about this just recently, what, a week ago or two weeks ago about mm-hmm. trusting yourself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, another sponsor, say sponsor of mine, that's a whole different conversation of sponsor versus mentor, right? Mm-hmm. Would say, he said, I was writing, we were co-writing a piece together and uh, he goes, stop writing like, a researcher, stop writing like mm. you're, you know, you don't know, like mm. write with the authority that you have. And I remember from the Alt MBA and Seth Godin is kind of like, make the assertion, like you're a professional mm. um, lead, right? Mm. Like that's the thing. It's like lead. It needs to happen. So make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um. And see what see what comes from it. So I think that's my thing from the Alt MBA was you you have to trust yourself, mm. and you are the professional. You have to see yourself as a professional in order for other people to view you as a professional. True. Yeah. I, I mean that that's such a great topic, right? Trusting yourself. And sometimes you when we step back to look at these ultra wisdom coming from Seth Godin's and the Seth Godin's of the world. And it become, you're like, wow, that is kind of a parent. Like, if I don't trust myself, who am I supposed to trust? Like parents, I mean, we're adults. But at the same time, I definitely also find myself developing, you know, there's a workshop I'm doing for podcasters and virtual assistants. And I'm inviting Chris Voss to join me in a webinar. There's part of me to say, like, oh, putting something out there and to measure our success or how much we should trust ourselves based on social shares, comments, how many people attend the event, conversion, all these things can be really daunting. And, um, you know, so like, do you look at those stats? Do you, how, how, how do you kind of balance trusting yourself versus looking at vanity metrics and ignoring them? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, for me, I just dive in. Mm-hmm. and and go from there 
right? I, I think a part of it was, so for the AI association, for example, uh, there was no, um, there was no association that was representing sort of businesses on the overall strategic uh, national strategic plan for what is artificial intelligence and what is automation mm -hmm. um, in the United States. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's no plan where the rest of the world has a plan. And mm -hmm. there were so many businesses that were saying, well, and this goes back, this kind of goes to in understanding law and legislation and the economy was the government in conjunction to the, like it helps grow the market. So the regulations behind certain things or the laws behind certain things help grow businesses, uh, especially on something as sensitive as say algorithms or data privacy or mm -hmm. whatever. And the United States at this point has said, well, we don't really have a plan. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's kind of the approach was, okay, so many clients or people that I'm interacting with are going, Hey, I'm in this field, but you're in this field. And you know, what a trade association are you with? And, and we all were like, well, there's not a trade association. So let's just create it, right? Like if no one's going to create it, we should create it because we see the value in it and what they are. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that, just things kind of like you write by accident and then it turns into something. Mm -hmm. uh, so from there, then it was, then it turned into universities students were going, well, we're not getting taught this. And you're the only group that's actually like trying to teach lawmakers about what artificial intelligence is, what automation is, and what that all looks like. Um, can you help us? Mm -hmm. Right. So like all, that's kind of how this, this world transpired. And um, I think the challenge and this is another thing from the alt NBA is lawmakers were confused on how Facebook, I think everybody remembers this, how Facebook makes money. Mm. Right. And they couldn't understand. So trying to package it in a way that anybody can understand from any worldview and any perspective, um, definitely helped from the alt NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's so fascinating that all of us who join Alt MBA and uh, you know came from so many walks of life, and it's as a result, I think I've learned that in a way that a, being a variety show isn't so bad, right? Like I bring a lot of different people from different disciplines on the show. Definitely received a lot of criticism as well. As in, why can't you just interview doctors, just interview digital marketers? And then so yeah, it's actually a lot easier to market that show, but. Um, that's not really the reason why I started that. And as a result, I think uh, through LTMBA, meeting you and learning now about AI association is where else am I going to learn all these different multidisciplinary uh, topics? Like if I don't know these people and instead just kind of be in a safe place where I'm talking to all the digital marketers who speak the same language and have the same arguments, complaints about everything. Um, so 
You mentioned that you are, a, you know, you mentioned teaching because you're also an adjunct professor right now. And um, by the way, like, do you enjoy that the experience so far? And like, what have you, how, you know, how does it, how does it make you feel? Because I feel like it's a really big deal. We're, we're close, you know, we're pretty similar in age. And, you know, now you're this professor teaching people, I don't know, like 10 years younger, but you're, you're, you know, seen as like this authority, you know, as an authority in certain topics. Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love teaching at that level. Um, And I'm, I am waiting to hear back on maybe having another uh, appointment at a, a different university. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so I won't, <laughs> I, it's not official yet, but the students were asking. So that makes me feel good. Um, I think also seeing the evaluations, um, you know, like is kind of vanity. That's the vanity metrics. Yeah, right? that's crazy. Ugh. But I think, seeing the growth from the beginning to the end um, and being able to package it in a certain way is super helpful, I think, outside of teaching. But I love the thought of teaching people how to learn. I've always approached it this way is, can you learn something and grow later when I'm gone? Mm. Um, That's something I didn't get. Mm-hmm. A lot when I mean a few. I can think of one professor in particular, and there were other professors too, but one in particular that was very much invested in mm-hmm. you you gaining the tools to learn later when I'm not around. Yeah. The more the material, and so I've really approached it that way of saying, "Okay, I'm going to give you some of these." building blocks, Mm -hmm. but I really want to teach you how to think for yourself and get excited about it. And I think it also depends on the the audience, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of these students don't know the fundamentals, but they're also not excited. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed, do you know Don Norman? No. So way back in the day, interviewed Don Norman for this, this book group, he wrote the, uh, um, he wrote a design book on the design of everyday things. One of like, anyway, we were talking about education at one point and he talked about, um, if you start with excitement, you start with curiosity and then you work back to like building a project then fundamentals, and then you get to history. And we've always gone the other way where we say history first, then we go to fundamentals, then we go to a project, and then we go to excitement, mm. right? Mm. And I think that's still pretty much the case where we're like, hey, we're going to teach you statistics, we're going to teach you the history of statistics, and then we're going to build a project. After you learn all of this. That is fascinating. That's why everybody hates school. I mean, not everybody, but you know, that's why it's so you gotta convince little kids from when you're so little till you're an adult that exact same, you know, format, the industrial design you just described. Like, why not build the excitement first? Right. And so I've approached that with undergraduate students where they're still like they're in this mixture of, well, we're excited about business, we're excited about um, building a business. And I know like a fundamental is law, 
So how do we build projects? Mm-hmm. Right. So they're, they're not to the fundamental stage because they're just a little bit excited, but can we build projects and then kind of slowly add in the fundamentals mm. to it's then a- mm-hmm. get them. Okay. So now I'm excited. Now I'm building a project. Okay. I see the value of learning the fundamentals. And then at the end of the class, everyone, well, not everyone, right. You have the outliers, but say the majority are going, okay, I want to learn more. Do I have enough of the skills of building the project to then get into more of the fundamentals and learning on my own, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we're only doing it for seven weeks or 14 weeks. That's, that's, that's not a lot of time to say, okay, let's learn about all aspects of law, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think this is so applicable to people who are thinking or considering about entrepreneurship. I think that's, that is at the heart of it, like everything you just described, because I think since for me, since the age of 22, outside of college, so much what I do every day, whether it's full time, but especially since I became an entrepreneur in 2016, is about rethinking how to learn and, you know, how to discover new possibilities and so much Still, like yesterday till today, it's not about learning or applying everything I already know, looking through dictionaries and, you know, process books, but just to figure out, like, just a few, stay a few steps ahead, uh, especially in industries that are new to me. So I, I love what you're sharing. And I do think, like, Seth Godin and a lot of our mentors really is about, and this gentleman, now I recognize the book with a red pot, like a teapot. Yes, I've heard of this book from uh, Don <laughs> Norman. Um, is about teaching people how to think and then how to learn. Um, so that's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, what I love about that book, I think, is some of the and one aspect of it is a door, right? Mm-hmm. Just look at the doors that you see and how they're designed. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes you go to a door and then they put a sign that says push or pull. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying, why don't we design a door where you don't have to put it? You shouldn't have to put up a sign mm-hmm. to say push or pull. The person should know like how to get in and out of the door with out a sign. Right. So if there's like a big bar, mm-hmm. right. On this side, am I pushing or pulling that big bar? Mm-hmm. Right. And normally, like the into or your intuition is to pull it, right? There's yeah. a bar I pull. Um, if there's a like a little push thing, then mm-hmm. that means push. <laughs> yeah. Right? Push and pull. But sometimes it's the other way where it's the bar and you have to push it, push, yeah. but you're pulling, right? You're like, why isn't this opening? Like I'm trying to pull it, but it's actually push. Mm-hmm. And so he sees a lot of those, like I even think like the teacup in there might on that, that book might be different, right? Mm-hmm. Like why a mug is a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't put a spout right here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's right. I'm looking at it right now. I was like, I don't get it. Oh, now I do. Yeah. It's, right? Because it's just about intuition. And as I think what you're also describing is challenging the system that we're already so familiar with, that we've lived with, our parents have lived with for so long. And um, 
you know, I not to say people say don't reinvent the wheel, but some I think a lot of our everyday life and even belief systems do need some reinvention. Uh, I to me that is just the most fascinating things out there. Um, again, like for example, I reference and you know I hear these conversations all the time. Um, as my mom's painting Dr. B.J. Miller, I'm hearing her playing our conversation in the background, and I picked up certain things such as like not just cancer patients, people with serious illness, um, their first question is, can I still have sex, right? And then it's really interesting, people's uh, fundamental understanding of sex is just one thing, but you often neglect the fact that it is intimacy is so much bigger than that. You need a bigger framework to understand how to solve for the problems. Like we human are so creative, uh, can be very generative. And why are people only thinking about sex in terms of intercourse? That's it. You know, and it just, it's so fascinating to me to realize like, you know, for us, like looking at the teapot, the door, how to, how to have sex, how to build a, you know, longstanding and healthy relationship with a partner. And I think we're kind of all talking about the same thing here. And um, yeah, it's just, that's what I've been thinking about lately a lot. Yeah, well, it's yeah. human interaction, right? Like, mm -hmm. what do you want out of it? Um, I was asked recently, so right now there's this big movement protest happening mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. and around the country. So uh, Carthage College, where mm -hmm. um, I teach, is in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is all over the news, right? Mm -hmm. And there's so many conversations happening uh, in that area. And the conversation is, are you out there on the streets getting really angry, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's not productive to just be so angry that you're not because then you don't listen. Um, do Am I judging those that are getting really angry? Uh, no, right? That's not productive either. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a, there's a, the strategy, I think we all have to think about what do we want from this? And I think having more conversations and getting more perspective, because if two people are yelling at each other, um, they're not hearing the other person. Mm -hmm. That's that's where all of this collides, right? If I was a teacher and my students and I was just yelling at them, mm -hmm. then they're not going to learn and they're not going to gain anything. And if they were just yelling at me, then mm -hmm. there's there's no you know human interaction. Same goes with our personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think me, if I was yelling at you, <laughs> right, then you would say, well, he's never coming on my podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or I didn't learn anything, right? Like all of this is about human interaction. And, mm -hmm. and, and so we inter interact as humans, um, then, then it's really, really difficult, mm -hmm. um, to get your point across or hear the other person's perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've uh, comfortably used up your uh, entire hour. And I do like how we, you know, ended up talking about really love, especially some of these final like discoveries and points. Um, and I, I, I just want to say that sometimes it's so easy for most people to think about what's in it for me. Like what's if, 
you know, like I must be either I'm happy or making money, the rest I don't, you know, I get that mentality. And especially during COVID, right, you know, with the, you know, with PUA, PPP, you know, everybody is like, they need this every whatever amount of dollars they can get, something concrete they can look at and count on. But at the same time, I think what I learned from you, from Seth Godin's L10BA is we can all level up that by sharing this idea, by collaborating, by going live together, it's it's better for both of us. And even if I can concretely count on, you know, what whatever may come out of it, you know, I hope people reach out to you. I know a lot of people who have joined in conversations with me have reached out to me and my guests. And, you know, and then that is just amazing. But even if that's not happening, sometimes you still have to convince yourself and know that you are making an impact. You are doing something um, beyond yourself or your, your close circle in the community. So I love... I love how you're describing these things. Um, very inspiring to me as well. Well, thanks, Faye. I mean, you, I, I'm honored to be on your podcast because you've had so many great uh, guests Thank you. <laughs> on this podcast and you're, you're, you're bringing me on. <laughs> yes, my pleasure. You know, it's my pleasure. And I, I know that sometimes like people see these names, you know, Sarah Cooper just took off like, crazy, right? She's, you know, talking to the, uh, you know, I almost said future president, you know, to be president, VP, and, and, you know, she's got her Netflix show. But I just, I think I was literally thinking about the other day that she was this normal, she's very talented, she's always been, but she was this normal, humble person. She still is today, that people don't realize that what we possess and what we can become without the vanity metrics. So, you know, you're just as, Josh, you're just as special as everybody else, you know, and in many aspects, you are offering more than some of them could. So yeah, definitely trust our instinct, trust ourselves. <laughs> that's the, if you don't take away anything else. That's it. You got to trust yourself. Exactly. Trust yourself. So, well, thanks. I appreciate it. Um... Yeah. Let's have an awkward ending. So we're going to go offline now. <laughs> we're going to stop live, dream, live stream. Don't miss us too much. Check out um, Josh. Check out the, my calendar event. And whoever is whoever. I mean, oh, Chris Voss is bringing his entire team to join me on a webinar. You can find out more at phaseworld.com forward slash events. So, all right, we're going offline. Bye. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team are chief editor and producer Herman Ceballos, associate producer Adam Leffert, social media and content manager Rose DeLeon, transcript editor Alina Ahmedova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Phase World. Thank you so much for listening.